So, uh, last week, a little review from the uh, younger brother, the younger son. Uh, We saw uh, that he asked for his inheritance early. He runs off. He spends all the money that that was his inheritance, and he ends up in destitution. He's, He's eating pig's food. He's in a desperate state. And it's in his desperate state that he comes to his senses... And he knows he doesn't have to be doing this. He could go home, so he does. And as he's running up the driveway, his father meets him halfway. And before the younger son could even get a word of apology out, his father embraces him. His father hugs him. The younger son, he does, in fact, repent. But we see that the father's love is what caused the repentance. It wasn't the repentance that caused the father's love. It's a real tearjerker of a story, and we love these kind of these, these stories, these redemption stories. It makes us feel good. But if you remember, the parable starts with that there are two sons and one father. The second son we don't even see uh, in that first part of the parable, but we do starting in verse 25, and he's the one we're going to focus on today. So let's read our passage. We'll start with uh, the entrance uh, of all these lost things in verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we just just saw that right there. And I want you to see the tax collectors and the sinners. That's the younger brother. And in verse 2, the Pharisees who are grumbling, that's the older brother. That's what we're going to look at today. Verse 25, now... His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. This is the third of three parables in Luke 15 of things that were lost and that are found. The first is a shepherd who finds a sheep. The second is about a, a woman who loses a coin and then she finds it. And then we get to the one about a father with two sons. One is overtly lost. He's lost in his rebellion. But the other is also lost, the older brother. But it's a lot harder to tell. See, he has stayed home and he's around his father. He's dutifully served. Externally, he's done all that he's supposed to. But internally, he's lost. See, he was involved with his father's business. But he wasn't involved with the father. So the older son fits right in with what Jesus says in a couple other places. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, what Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 7 is that you can be in close proximity to Jesus. You can acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You can even do ministry in his name and you don't get it. That's the older brother. And it's scary, isn't it? Jesus says something else, John 14, verses 8 9. Jesus is talking to Philip. And Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Now, Philip should know better. I mean, this is at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. Philip has been with Jesus for three years. He should know that Jesus' whole job is to show the world who the Father is. So why in the world is he asking this question? Jesus wonders too. And in verse 9, Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Frightening, isn't it? Philip's like the older brother. You can be around Jesus. You can be in close proximity to Jesus and not know him. You can be lost. See, the older son, the older brother is lost in his own house. The younger brother is lost because of his badness, but the older brother is lost because of his goodness. And many people, they they think they've repented because they've repented of their badness, but it's not until you've also repented of your goodness that you've shown that you actually get it. This is what the Apostle Paul does in Philippians 3 and Galatians 1. He's got to come to grips that his religious accolades not only add up to nothing in God's eyes, but they hinder him from grasping the glory of the gospel. See, if I asked you to fill in the following blank, what would you put in? All right. I have failed at life by... What would you put in that blank? I failed at life by... Now, maybe you say organic chemistry. Maybe that's what it was for you. Maybe it was your your driver's test. I failed both the permit and the whatever. I failed them both. I failed a bunch of my ordination exams, too. I mean, I failed all kinds of stuff. But how have you failed at life? Maybe it's a shameful sexual past. Maybe it's how you've misused substances. Maybe it's your parenting blunders. Maybe it's your greed. I I don't know what you'd put in there, but likely it's something embarrassing. It's something that you wish you could undo. And it's probably something bad. Well, this week I found an organization. It's called F Up Nights. Now, F isn't really the word F. It's the four letters, you know what I mean? F Up Nights. It's got 180 chapters around the world. Most of them are in the U.S. It's a global movement. It's an event series. And what it does is they share stories of professional failure. And so each month, at every chapter of these F-up nights, there's three or four people who stand up in a room full of strangers and give kind of a TED Talk. They share about their own professional F-up. Maybe it's a failed partnership Maybe it's a business that crashes and burns. Maybe it's a deal that's gone sour. I don't know. But there's one particular chapter, the one in Richmond, Virginia. It's got three rules for their presenters. I think they're pretty good. One rule is that you can't tell anything personal. 
In other words, you can't tell like a moral lapse story. You, you, can't, uh, 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 you can't admit to abusing substances. The second rule is that you cannot give advice. And the third rule is you can't be the hero. You can't be, I failed, but now I have it together. I kind of like those rules, don't you? I mean, it demands honesty. It, it cultivates vulnerability. And see, as Christians, when we think about, I failed at life by, you think about the bad things. You think about the F-ups. But those of us who've been in church for a long time need to see that we need to put our good in that blank. For instance, a good friend of mine is a bit older than me. He's got a bunch of kids. All his kids are older than my kids. And on the outside, my friend looks like the perfect dad. I mean, he's kind of made it his goal in life to be a great dad because he had such a crummy dad. And he really is a really good dad. You see him interact with his kids, he clearly delights in them. You hear him talk about how intentional he's been in raising them. It's really obvious. And his kids pretty much by any measure have turned out like any parent would want their children to turn out. And one time I was around him and somebody asked him about the key to being a good parent. And here's what his answer was. He said it all started when he began to see that being a good dad was his problem. He said he took too much pride in it. He overestimated how much control he actually had over his children. And now he's, more, he's much more surprised that his kids haven't been more rebellious. He can't believe how they've turned out because he was so overly attentive with them. And now I think my friend would put, I failed at life by trying to be a good dad. So you see how easy it is to be blind like the older brother. You're not going to find the older brother in the pigsty. You're not going to see him breaking the rules. You're not going to find him outside the house. You're not going to find him that way. The way you find an older brother is you find somebody who's angry. You find somebody who's insecure. You find somebody who's judgmental. And those are the clues we see in the older brother in our text. So let's start with being angry. Last week we saw in verse 20 that when the father sees his younger son return home, here's what the text says. The father felt compassion for his son. But in verse 28, when the older son hears that his brother has returned, what does it say? It says that he's angry. So the contrast can't be more stark. You've got the older brother exploding with rage. See, in, in his mind, the younger brother's done everything. He's done nothing to deserve his celebration. In his mind, there shouldn't be a party. There should be a trial. And then you've got this party being thrown with his inheritance money. <laughs> so this party comes at his expense. It's not fair. So he cries out for justice. So you see that the older brother is working with a certain kind of moralistic logic. See, he believes that he's good and therefore he's valuable. Whereas his brother is sinful, therefore he's worthless. See, in the older brother's mind, since he's proven his value with his goodness, he believes he's the one who's earned the celebration. 
He can't comprehend his father's logic. His father's logic is that the younger brother is sinful and valuable, not sinful and worthless. And don't we use the same logic in our lives? See, if you do use this logic, you'll be either angry at yourself or angry at God for the rest of your life. You'll be mad at God when you aren't rewarded for doing good. Or you'll be mad at yourself when you think you've done bad. But if you know you're sinful and valuable, there's an upside to that. See, when bad things happen to you and you know you're sinful and valuable, you'll know you're not getting punished for your sin. Because Jesus is the one who took your punishment. So you'll see bad things as being a part of something bigger and something very different than punishment. If you see yourself as sinful and valuable, you won't complain when bad things happen. Because you know that you haven't received all the negative consequences for your sin. Because Jesus says you're valuable. So are you angry? Is there an energy just under the surface that gets unleashed when things don't go your way? Do you work really hard to prove how you're right and strong and qualified? If that's you, you might be an older brother. You're not just angry, you're also insecure if you're the older brother. Look at verse 29. The older brother says, look, these many years I've served you. Served. That word served there is the word that we get the word slave from. So you see how he's giving himself away. He doesn't view his involvement with the father's business through the lens of being a son of the owner. He views his involvement as slavery. And that shows us he's just trying to earn his status as a son instead of just embracing it. He's insecure. Look at the second part of verse 29. (coughs) He talks about not getting a feast with his friends like the younger brother, which on the surface sounds like a complaint. But I think he's actually questioning how much the father loves him because if he was loved, then the father would throw him apart. See, the bottom line is this. He's questioning if he's actually considered a son by his father. He's insecure. See, when you're an older brother, you're always wondering if you've done enough. You lack assurance that God actually loves you. You're always looking to be commended for your service. You're not resting in your status as a son or daughter of God. You're insecure. There's one more clue. Includes being judgmental. Look at verse 30. Look what he refers to his brother as. He's in this exchange with his father, and he calls him your son. He doesn't call him my brother. Now, sometimes at my house, when one of our kids does something unsavory, Jenna will say, your daughter, your son. And what she's saying is you can... Find the cause of that bad behavior in you, Marsh, not me. So the point is that the title he uses to refer to his brother as your son and not my brother shows you just how judgmental he is. But look at that next line in verse 30. He says that his younger brother spent all his money on prostitutes. 
Now up to this point in the parable, you don't see anything about prostitutes. It just says wild living. The older brother has no idea how his brother wasted the money. And that should cause you to ask some questions. Is it possible that he's making assumptions here? Is it possible that he's showing his cards on what he would do if he could spend money the way he wanted? Is it possible that he's holding old sin patterns over his brother's head? I don't know. But what I do know is that older brothers are quick to assign motive. They're always evaluating others and coming to conclusions about other people's character. They're quite sure about their conclusions. They lack curiosity. So do you see a judgmental streak in you? If so, you might be an older brother. So what do you expect the father to do in this story? (laughs) What do you think he does? I mean, the father, this is the guy who is out of his mind excited about the return of his wayward son. And now he's got another son who won't join in the jubilation. He's angry, he's insecure, he's this judgmental brute of a man who's unwilling to show grace to his brother. So what's the father going to do? Is he going to match his son's rage with rage of his own? Is he going to ignore him and let him sulk? Well, look at verse 28. It says his father came out. His father pursued him. See, just like the father went out to meet the younger son where he was, so now he goes out to meet his older son where he's at in all this yuck. And he goes out, and verse 28 says, he entreats him. That word entreat, it's got connotations of tenderness and comfort, not condemnation, as you might expect. So once again, the father's economy is one of grace. His math computes differently than expected. And even though his older son is stingy, he's self-pitying, he's resentful, he's proud, he's bitter, he's unrepentant, he's unforgiving, and he's unwilling to show grace to sinners, the father doesn't reject him. Not only does he not reject him, he assures him of his love. Do you see verse 31? You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. What more could you want? So if you find yourself being an older brother, Jesus comes to you this morning and says, all that is mine is yours. You're not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter of a father whose riches are unlimited. And more than that, whose father's love is unwavering and is always there for the having for you. You can throw in the towel and always trying to get it right. You can celebrate your father's welcome. That your father's welcome is for the most flagrant rebels and for the most hard-hearted moralists. Now it seems like this passage, Jesus is beating up on the conservatives. Isn't that what it feels like a little bit? Now, it is true. Jesus is really hard on religious leaders. 
He's hard on the moralists. He's hard on the older brothers. But I just can't get over how gracious the father is with this self-righteous son. And it's real easy for me to be the elder brother to elder brothers. It's real easy for me to demand that they repent before I engage them. <coughs> but that's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is to get underneath all that judgment, to get underneath all that anger and see there's insecurity, to see that there's pain. And when you see it, you can sidestep the anger. You can sidestep the judgmentalism and you can remain curious and patient and kind. See, the elder brother just needs you to bring the temperature down. The elder brother just needs, you to, just needs you to tell them that they're loved. They don't need you to argue with them. They're going to try to get you to. That's what they want. But it's not what they need. They need you to reach their hearts and call them to repent because they're loved. Did you notice how the parable ends? It's open-ended. I mean, the last scene, you just have the father and the older son talking to one another. You don't know if the older son ever enters the party. <clears throat> you don't know how he, how he, what he does. Does he repent and go into the party? Does he stay outside the party and moat? Does he pack up all his stuff and move out? I don't know. But I do know that this same invitation that was extended to the older brother in the parable is being extended to all the older brothers in this room. Can you hear the music? Can you hear the dancing? And don't you want to join in? I hope you do. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Or would you come out and meet us with all tenderness and comfort? That's what we need. In Jesus' name. Amen.